If you have your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 15. I said I wasn't going to say that anyway. Turn in your Bibles, the Holy Word of God, to Mark chapter 15. Amen. I'm glad to see our newest member back tonight, Brother Hunter. He survived Holly Creek. Amen. And um, I survived it too. The water went over the waders and through the woods. <laughs> no, and praise God. I had to go home and change uh, <clears throat> for an appointment at two. So thank the Lord um, for some young men that want to serve the Lord and be obedient. That's what it starts. Obedience is better than sacrifice. Preach on that Wednesday night about obedience. It's an avenue to blessing. It's an avenue to uh, be a blessing. And it's an avenue to bless his holy name. And that's what counts most of all. Without obedience, uh, you can't be a blessing. You're disqualified. So we must be good followers before we can be good leaders, amen? And so in Mark chapter 15, this is where we started our series several weeks ago about the crowd around the cross, and uh, we looked at uh, the first few verses, and we saw that they clothed him with purple in verse 17. They planted a crown of thorns and put upon him his head. Those thorns were four to six inches long, and he began to salute him, and they mocked him, saying, Hell, King of the Jews. Verse 19 of Mark chapter 15 says, and they smote him on the head with a reed, and that drove those nail spike um, thorns into his head, and therefore the blood mingled because they spit with the spit upon him, and bowing their knees, <coughs> worshipped him. And how cruel, how ungodly! And then they scourged him. Um, and led him away to be crucified. And of course, thank God, the casual Christian became a committed Christian when Simon was compelled to take up the cross. That's what we should do. We should take up the cross. And this message has really tore my heart up because when I think about what he went through in those dark three hours, and three significant. When you see three in the Bible, it's significant. And this is very significant. For three hours there was darkness, but on the third hour, three o'clock, the sun came through. Amen. I don't know if you get the picture or not. But they praise God. After three days, the sun's going to come through, and, and, and a rock can't hold him, and a, a sepulcher can't hold him, uh, mummified wrapped clo clothing cannot hold him. He's coming out of that grave. Amen. And thank the Lord for the resurrection. We'll be preaching on that next Sunday. This Wednesday, Lord willing, I'll be finishing the next three uh, utterances from the cross. So you be here at spring break, but don't make a break from the church. And uh, I'm excited about it. But I want to, I want to draw your attention to verse 34. Um, <clears throat> 33, excuse me. And we'll read just a few verses. Let's stand and honor the Word of God. It says, And when the sixth hour was come, <clears throat> that was noon, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. Uh, that's a one-time event. I don't think it's ever happened before. Mark chapter 15, verse 33. 34 says this, <clears throat> And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice. And this is what we're going to study tonight. Elo, Elo, Lama, Sabastani, which is being interpreted, My God, my God, why? Hast thou forsaken me? And some of them that stood by, 
when they, when they heard it, said, Behold, he calleth Elijah. What a misunderstanding that was. And one ran and filled a sponge full of vinegar and put it upon a reed and gave him to drink, saying, Let, and, and, uh, saying, let alone, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus cried with a loud voice and gave it the ghost. And the veil of the temple rent in twain from the top to the bottom. And when the centurion which stood over against him saw that he had so cried out and gave up the ghost, he said, truly, this man was the Son of God. Now he had that right. Amen. You may be seated as I pray. Father, thank you for the utterance of perplexity. God, thank you for this holy ground that we're about to enter into, that we don't tread lightly. And Lord, we cannot understand completely all that happened at Calvary for sinners like me. But we appreciate it. And we thank you for our divine substitute, our sacrificial lamb, the Lord Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ our Savior. So Lord, help us never get over Calvary. And Lord, may we bow in humble submission tonight as we face some dark times, but not as dark as Jesus faced. And may we be faithful. May we be faithful to present the gospel. And may we be faithful to be presentable of the gospel as servants of the cross and of the Lamb. And the blood that shed Lord, will not be in vain in our life because, dear God, we surrender all to Thee. Thank You, Lord, for paying it all. Thank You, God, for the three dark hours that You know what happened. <clears throat> and the psalmist tells us a little about what happened. But God, we can't fathom it in our own little minds. So, Lord, help us to preach this as a student that's learning. We'll praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to see, first of all, tonight, the moment. It was 12 o'clock, and, it's, and it refu the sun refused to shine for three long hours in the middle of the day. That was one of the miracles that testified. There was another miracle, the rocks rent. Some people misinterpreted in Matthew chapter 27. It says that many people came out of that out of those rent rocks and walked around, but that was after the resurrection because he's the first fruits, amen? And so there was a second witness, the rocks renting, an earthquake. You ever been in an earthquake? How many has ever been in an earthquake? Raise your hand. Okay, I heard it's pretty bad, and I heard it's pretty, it's pretty shocking. But the earthquake, and then one other great miracle took place, a witness, the veil rent from the top to the bottom. But the greatest, one of the greatest witnesses, that the sun refused to shine. And then three hours later, the sun did shine. And I often overlook that. It's a picture of the resurrection at three o'clock. The sun came out. It broke through the darkness of sin. And so tonight, I want you to notice that miracle of that moment. And then second of all, I want you to see the mystery. 
the cry of desolation, the cry of despair, the cry of desperation. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You need to take your shoes off. This is holy ground. The fourth utterance is a prayer. Three of the seven utterances were prayers. The first, fourth, and seventh. The first prayer was a prayer of intercession. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That's just like our Lord, amen? I don't know about you, but I'm glad I received the forgiveness of God. And my sins are cast as far as the east and the west. Then the second prayer was uh, requesting an explanation, a, requ- uh, a response um, to, to this man. No, excuse me. The second one is what we're studying tonight is a request of explanation of rejection. Why has thou forsaken me? God forsaken by God. I can't explain it but I know what happened. Then the third prayer, the seventh utterance, was when our Lord calmly <clears throat> and triumphantly committed his mortal, immortal spirit to the Father. And to my, thy hands, thy hands I commend my spirit. And so I want you to compare the words of these prayers. The first uh, one is found in Luke chapter 23, verse 34, and I won't take the time to read it, but he prayed, Father, forgive them. And then in Luke chapter 23, verse 46, he prayed again. The last utterance we'll preach on Wednesday. Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. But he didn't call him Father in this fourth utterance. He said, my God, my God. This is the only time that he addresses God as God, speaking to him. Now, frequently he referred to the Father as God, but he was speaking to others about God. Dr. Locklear writes this, Here is God, for he appeals to the divine righteousness. Somewhere in the darkness, he feels pushed out of the Father's heart into a desolate forest. Yet he clings to the divine righteousness. And in spite of the mystery of the moment, he knew that God was still God, and that God must be doing right. The only time he ever asked God a question was in this prayer. He never questioned God. It's a strange paradox. The true light of the world, experience in darkness. He's the light of the world, the Bible says, John 8, 12. Um, first, uh, John chapter 1, verse 9 says he came into the, to the world to give light unto men. He's suspended in darkness between heaven and earth. Why? And so tonight I want to dwell on three things about the message. There's a great message in the darkness. Brother Andrew suggested I turn the lights off during this message. And I said, well, I couldn't see my notes. <laughs> no, but I said, that's a pretty good idea. Matter of fact, I thought about with it being so cloudy and stormy. If the lights went out, I was going to change to this message. But that's a little too dramatic, I guess. And, uh, but I want you to see something that's so precious. The message. Um, 
the inspired Word of God gives a message. Hundreds and hundreds and years before, the psalmist saw the dark hours of Calvary. Now, folks, I don't know if you love this blessed book, but you ought to. And I don't know if you're reading it. I think you ought to be in Deuteronomy about 17, 18, somewhere around there. This morning I, I checked it off my list. Should have got more out of the reading of it. But I'll tell you this, friend, this book is inspired. Amen? Amen? This book is prophetic, not pathetic. All the other books are pathetic compared to this book. Amen. And I want you to turn back to the message and what really happened in the darkness. You know, only God can shed light on what no man could see but God and God. God and Jesus. Psalms 22. You with me? I'm excited about this. I might not sound excited. I surely don't look excited, but praise God, I'm excited about this, that I can preach something like this. Proverbs, excuse me, Psalms chapter 22. We're going to read 18 verses and just dwell in it for a second. First of all, I want you to see in verse 1 the dying cry. He said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? I want you to notice, folks, hundreds and hundreds of years before the fact, the psalmist David was going through a terrible time of darkness in his life, but he uses exact words that Jesus used. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That makes me love the Bible. Amen? And folks, when we don't know what's happening, God always knows what's happening. When we don't know how to pray, God knows how to lead us in our prayers. But I want you to look at verse uh, 2. Oh, my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not. And in the night season, I am not silent. It became night in the day. A miracle at Calvary. Look at verse 3. And this is, the, this is the essence of why the darkness came. But thou art holy, O thou that inhabits the praises of Israel. God is holy, and he cannot tolerate sin. He must judge it. And sin was upon his son, and he couldn't look upon him, so he put the lights out. Look at verse 4. Our father trusted in thee, they trusted and thou didst deliver them. They cried unto thee and were delivered, they trusted in thee and were not confounded. But I am a worm, and no man, a reproach of men, despised of people. That's how the Lord felt bearing your sin debt. And all that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out their lips, and they shake their heads saying, that's exactly what happened around the cross. He trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing he's, he delighteth in him, in him. Verse 9, But thou art he that took me out of the womb. Thou didst make me hope when I was upon my mother's breast. I was cast upon thee from the womb. Thou art my God from my mother's belly. Be not far from me, for trouble is near for there is none to help. And I love verse 12, but it's a terrible scene. and It's exactly what happened in the darkness. But bulls have compassed me 
Strong bulls of Basham have beset me round. <clears throat> they gape upon me with their mouths as raving and roaring lions. Folks, in the Bible days, there were bulls that were wild, and they would, they would literally run in herds, and they would surround a man and just bore him to uh, uh, just, 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 just ravage a person. And folks, I believe with all my heart the demons of hell were surrounding our Lord. I believe all the sins of all mankind, trillions and trillions of years of sin, was bombarding his soul like a bunch of bulls of Bashan. They were gaping upon him. They were raving and roaring. And then verse 14 tells you what happened in the darkness. Here's the message. Here's the message. It's scriptural. It's from the scripture. It says, I am poured out like water. My bones are out of joint. Didn't say broke now. And then it says, my heart is like wax. It's melted in the midst of my bowels. He was taking your hell for you. He was taking your sin debt for you. Look at verse 15. My strength is dried up like posture. I thirst. My tongue cleaveth to my jaws, and thou hast brought me into the dust of death. For dogs have compassed me. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierce my hands and my feet. Now why would the psalmist say something like that? He was never crucified. I'll tell you why. The Lord wanted us to get a glimpse of what Jesus paid in the darkness. And Look at verse 17. I may tell all my bones, they look and stare upon me. They parted my garments among them. And they cast lots upon my vesture. I'm telling you, the Word of God tells us that all hell bombarded Jesus during the hours of darkness. I see not only is the scriptural forecast of his suffering, but I see, second of all, it speaks of the separation in this message. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 8, would you go there with me? In the Word of God, don't you love the Word? Say amen. I'm glad so many is gathered tonight to hear it. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 8, the Bible says, And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord, God amongst the tree of the garden. We see Adam and Eve was created in God's image, and they had everything, paradise. But then they sinned. And they sinned, and they hid themselves from the presence of of the Lord. Sin always separates you from the Lord. That's why there is no little sin of omission. There is no little sin of commission. By the way, every sin you commit put Jesus on the cross, so sin should be exceedingly sinful. Can somebody please say amen? Folks, Habakkuk chapter 1 verse 13 wrote that of the pure, yes, then behold evil and canst not look upon iniquity. The Bible says Habakkuk 1.13, God cannot look upon iniquity. The Bible says in Isaiah 59 that our sins have separated us from God. He's not slack concerning his promises. But folks, we need to realize God hasn't moved 
sin has moved us away from God. God to test evil, and he cannot look upon it. All wickedness is utterly abhorrent to him because, verse 3 of that chapter, or 2, he is holy. Amen? A holy God cannot look on sin. A holy God cannot bless sin. Our sins separate us from God. God is light and in him is no darkness at all, 1 John 1, 5. Darkness is everywhere in the scripture and it's always symbolic of evil. Of evil. Now there'd be a big crowd that would bombard this place if I said black is evil. I said darkness. Amen? Darkness. Folks, Jesus said men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. John 3, verse 19. And so we see, number one, Scripture tells us what's happened in the darkness, the message. And folks, the message was the word dying in your place. There was separation. He could not look on that sin. Jesus became sin for us. I'll get to that wonderful verse that's already been quoted three times today. And I didn't know what the Sunday school lesson was all about. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. But I want you to see the main part of this darkness, and that's the substitution in the message. The substitution of the message. I'm going to go ahead and read that verse. You've already read it, but I want you to read 2 Corinthians 5, 21 with me. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21. The Bible says this, For he hath made him to be sin for us. That's kind of personal, isn't it? It says he knew no sin. He knew no sin, but he was made sin. You know why? He became the offering for sin. He bore our sins without being a sinner. He took our sin debt. He carried our sorrow. He was chastised for our peace. It says that we might be made what? The righteousness of God in him. Folks, there's only one way to be right with God, and that's take the blood of Jesus and apply it to your heart. He took your sin debt, and you take his righteousness. What a great gift. I almost said, what a deal. It ain't no deal. It's a gift. He took your sin, you take his righteousness. I don't know about you, he took your death and you'll live forever. He took your hell and you're going to heaven. If that don't make you shout, you need to go join the church of God, amen? But I'm telling you, friend, thank God. Thank God for that great transaction. Look at 1 Peter 2, 24. 1 Peter 2, 24 real quick. I love the word of God, don't you? Praise God. Thank you for listening in, all you that are listening by way of, I almost said radio, Computer, internet, that's it. 1 Peter 2, 24. The Bible says, Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness by whose stripes we're healed. That has nothing to do with physical healing, but it has everything to do with spiritual healing. Thank God. Thank God, friend. He becomes the shepherd and the bishop of our soul because he's the Lamb of God. Let me close real quick and say this. 
the very evil that God hated, he could not look on. And in that dark hour upon the Lord Jesus Christ, he couldn't look on him. And that's why God began to cry out. <clears throat> it's listed in the <clears throat> Greek, Aramaic. Some people say they're so ignorant they think that's tongues. Eli, Eli, Lamba, Sebastiana. God help us. That Jesus spoke in tongues. No, he spoke in a language that he chose to speak in. Amen. Look it up sometime. I have a hard enough time with English. I ain't looking up nothing in Greek. But anyway, the death of Christ was a substitutionary death for all sin and all sinners. And it took place in those dark hours. The Bible says that Christ bore our iniquity. And, his, and, our, and listen, the iniquity was upon us. Don't you love Isaiah chapter 53? Amen. Oh, it's a wonderful chapter, but I love this, this verse, Isaiah 53 and, and verse 6. It says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own ways, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The Lord laid it on him on those dark hours. All the demons of hell was bombarding his soul. His soul was literally melting with the anguish and pain of your hell. Leviticus chapter 16. <clears throat> I don't have time to go there a breath to do it, but I guarantee you one thing. This is a beautiful picture of the Day of Atonement. Two goats were taken into the presence before the Lord. One of these goats was called a scapegoat. The scapegoat is introduced after the first goat had been killed, the blood was shed. And this, uh, the sin, the, the scape, the, and sin, the scapegoat represented Christ. And since the scapegoat represented Christ, it suggests the effects of, of, the, of the atonement. The scapegoat bore all the iniquities, and he was sent off into the wilderness, a place of forgiveness. And thank God, a place of forgetfulness. Cast as far as the east and the west is what our sins are. And thus his die, our dying Lord, Jesus Christ, bore in his body all the sins of the human race who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, 1 Peter 2, 24. And he was our scapegoat. He was our substitute. I'm going to make some people mad tonight, but I really don't care. One of the particular doctrines of the seven-day Adventists is so unscriptural is the view of, their, of the atonement. Now, I know that you can go down to Gordon and he'll pray over you every time before you go into surgery. I know they're nice people. I know they're rich people. I know they pay for their education, but I want to tell you something. They're dead wrong on the atonement. Because when the seventh-day Adventists claim and base the belief upon the Bible as the Word of God, you need to go to William Miller and Helen G. Herman White, a prophetess, they think, say, that her words are equal with the Bible. And you'll see what she said. She said, on the doctrine of atonement, the sect of the seven-day Adventists has its own point of belief, which is a private property. They agree that on the day of atonement, a scapegoat was burdened with the sins of the people and then sent into the wilderness. But to them, the scapegoat was not Christ. Mrs. White says that it's Satan 
the author of sin, and upon whom the sins of the truly penitent would finally be placed on Satan. And nothing is further from the truth. The darkness of Calvary was shutting out the view of the sinless Son of God bearing his own, in his own body the sins of the world. He is our scapegoat. He is our redeemer. Folks, this is a beautiful picture. On the day of atonement, there is no atonement except through Christ taking our sin, placing sin, God placed the sin debt, the sin penalty, the hell, the judgment, the darkness that represented separation from God on his lovely, perfect son Amen. for you and I. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 9. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 9. I'll be finished in just a few minutes. Y'all listen intently. First, uh, excuse me, 2 Thessalonians 1, 9, the Bible says, who shall, shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Folks, the Bible says, in the flaming fire taking vengeance upon them that know not God, verse 8, and that obey not the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with the everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord. Folks, in this dark hour of Calvary, Christ was shut off from the Father's presence. So he cried out. First time he'd ever questioned God. But a lot of times questioning in the Bible is not that God didn't know it. He just wanted you to understand. Amen? Where art thou, Adam? He knew exactly where he was at. But he wanted Adam to realize where he was at. And so when God cried out to God, and Jesus cried out to God, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He wanted you to understand something. It's because of sin. It's because Psalms 22.3 says, thou art holy, and a holy God cannot look on sin. See, sin excludes from the presence of God. Can you say amen right there? And don't just say amen. Get rid of your sin. Deal with sin. Give short accounts to sin. Confess your sin. Confess means call it what God called it. See it as God sees it. And judge it as God judges it. And your sin, little, big, small, insignificant, sin of omission, Instead of not doing what God called you to do or told you to do, it's still sin. And it still sent our lovely Lord to the cross. And it caused God to look away. And it, called our, it caused our Lord to cry out in the middle of those three hours of darkness, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? See, a wholly sinless one bore all the sins of every sinner that's ever walked this earth since Adam. Think of this for a moment. I want you to meditate long and hard on this fact. In order to pay the price, the trillions of sins committed by billions of people over 6,000 plus years of human history had to be bore in full during those three hours and also the future sins that you'd ever commit. This meant separation from God. 
That's the next thing, and that's what makes hell so bad. There is no God. There is no light. There is no love. There is no laughter. There is no presence of God. And forever and ever and ever, people are probably crying out, why did I not get saved? Why didn't I listen to that old-fashioned preacher? Folks, it meant the awful pangs of hell was upon him in those dark hours. Because he was so utterly identified with sin and sinners, he was banished from the presence of God. Why did he utter this cry? So you wouldn't utter it one day. So you wouldn't scream and cry from the pit of hell, the pit of darkness, and say, my God, my God, why is that forsaken? Three times Christ warned men of outer darkness. Matthew 8, 12, write it down. Matthew 22, verse 13. Matthew 25, verse 30. He compared hell to outer darkness. But he did more than warn people about hell. He voluntarily plunged into the outer darkness so that you and I would never have to go there. Oh, what a Savior. It's impossible to transfer our sins without transferring the penalty of sin. He bore our sins. He took our death. Does that not move you? The substitute for sinners must be rejected as a sinner. And I don't know exactly all what took place, but God... And folks, sin in its finality is to forsake God. That's what sin is, forsaking God. But let me say sin in the final dealing with men is to be forsaken by God. Hell. And during those dark hours, 12 o'clock, 3 o'clock, he took our hell for us. May I say this? In closing, he was forsaken that we will never be forsaken. He took our hell, our darkness. May I say our lonely, our loneliness. Hell's a lonely place. I was with some smart aleck several years back. He said, I don't care. I'm going to go to hell and I'll party with all my friends. It will not be a party, friend. It'll be the most lonely horrendous, horrible, excruciating time of pain and darkness and separation that one's ever experienced and it'll be forever and ever and ever. And so let me say this. When you get saved, you trust the one that took your darkness, took your loneliness, but you'll never experience darkness and loneliness. And thank God Sundays are coming. Amen. Thank the Lord. It might have been dark, but three hours the sun filtered through the gloom about three o'clock and it appeared as though a resurrection had taken place in the sky the eternal sun was dying and amid the darkness of, of the world's sin and yet the catastrophe was not forever and ever 
it was for three days or three hours. Three hours, which represented, I believe, three days. And up from the grave, he arose. Thank God the light came back out. The light was turned back on. And I believe God was saying, yes, he took your sin debt. Yes, he bore your sin. But thank God three days later, up from the grave is going to rise and you're going to have the sunshine of his presence. And you're going to walk with newness of life. And you're going to have the power of the resurrection to say no. And praise God, we ought to have the boldness facing this dark and rejecting world to be the light. And it's not our light. It's to reflect his light. Praise God, friend, I'm going to tell you something. We need boldness. But we need a burden. And what we ought to do is look at soul winning in a different light. All we're doing is being so appreciative that he took our hell, that he took our sin dead, that we'd tell some sinner, you can walk in light and newness of life if you'll only believe that in that hour, Jesus took your place. Oh, what a Savior. Oh, what a Savior. Oh, what a, what, a, what a lamb. Oh, what a substitute. And I ain't got time to go into it, but some people misunderstood and thought it was Elijah, and you can read it for yourself. But I don't stop right here. At three o'clock, the sun came back out. One day, one day, we're going to dwell in the light of heaven, the love of heaven, the laughter of heaven. I think there'll be laughter in heaven, don't you? The joy of heaven, the presence of a peaceful existence in heaven. The government will be upon his shoulders. Everything will be right. And there won't be none of this mess going on now. And we'll be in a place of light because one day, Calvary's Hill. He cried out, My God, my God, why was I forsaken? Thank God for a Savior that would take your hell for you. Father, use this message. God, it's been holy ground for me and it's too deep for me to understand. But I can take your word on it. And I can believe that it was an offering that was pleasing unto thee. And the resurrection receipts it. When he cried, it is finished. He wasn't finished. The work was finished. And God forbid that we'd try to low rate what happened in the darkness of Calvary with our little old works gain or maintain eternal salvation. It's all because of Calvary. It's all because of your blood. It's all because you took our place on that dark afternoon when all the demons of hell and all of sin was placed on you. And you paid the price we could go free. Thank you, Lord.
with every head bowed, every eye closed. I hope you got something out of the message. I hope we'll never forget Gethsemane. I hope we'll never forget Calvary. Maybe you'd like to find a place at this altar and thank the Lord for your salvation. And then maybe some of you'd like to come and pray for those that's sloshing through the blood with works. Joining a church to get saved. Trying to keep the Ten Commandments. Whatever they're doing, it's all in vain. Because nobody paid their sin debt except the one, the Lamb of God. How many say, Preacher, I'm glad I'm saved? Would you raise your hands as a happy testimony of that? How many glad you're going to heaven and say amen? What a blessing. How many say, Preacher, I know someone that's not. And I sure want to be a witness of the efficiency, the eternal price that was paid at Calvary. And I want you to pray for me that I can be a better soul winner in this dark and sinful world that might laugh and jeer and make fun of you. But if Jesus went through that for you, can't we be a little uncomfortable in this world for him? You'd say, preacher, pray for me that I'd be a better witness. Would you lift your hand high for prayer? i got to raise mine. Amen. Father, thank you for the message. Use it for your glory. Thank you for the message of the suffering. But Lord, thank you for the message of the separation. But Lord, thank you for the message of the substitution that took place in dark Calvary. Thank you, dear God, that the sun came out. I thank you, Lord, for the resurrection that we're going to celebrate this coming Sunday. Lord, bless these folks to be a blessing. God, give us some holy boldness, but give us a burden. And Lord, may you give us opportunities to tell the people what they can never understand in their own intellect. God, if they'll trust the word and trust your blood, trust the death, burial, and resurrection, they can go to heaven because you took their hell for them. We thank you for that in Jesus' name.